Well, it's, it's certainly no secret that I've been a bit of a man whore my whole life. What the secret really is, is, is how much it's haunted me since early childhood. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. This episode contains discussions of graphic sex, molestation, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people hide from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really? The how, the what, the where, and the why? Today, my guest is Will. Now, Will, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Well, it's it's certainly no secret that I've been a bit of a man whore my whole life. What the secret really is, is, is how much it's haunted me since early childhood. Yeah, I mean, I could say I was a woman whore. I guess that would... <laughs> <laughs> I have been there. I have used my sexuality to get that empty hole that's inside me feeling like I'm worthy. So I totally get it. When did it start? What age? Well... I, I say kindergarten because that's when my first kiss was. And, I can't um, even remember my first kiss, Will. Oh, I like, remember that's mine. That's crazy. Well, we, we got a lot of attention for it. Oh. You know, little kids kissing on the mouth in school. Everyone was screaming, hooting and hollering. So I, I, it's pretty distinct. Plus the, the anger of my mom when she got the phone call. Can't forget that either. I, yeah. I still can see the look on my mom's face. She's on the phone. <laughs> but what were you on like the playground in school? Um, I think we were in the classroom. Oh. Uh, and me and this girl, Kimberly, just were kissing. I don't remember what popped that off, but I did like it. And in first grade. Wait, what did your mom say? Do you remember clearly at such a no, young age? I just remember a look of anger <laughs> and, uh, and then a light chuckle later on. Because I did stop. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think she thought it was too big a deal, but it was definitely a shock. Right. And I knew then to, to um, keep that stuff in the dark. Like a secret. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was kind of the start of, of my understanding of, of that. I can't tell my parents. I grew up in a pretty religious home, very religious home. I went to Christian school my entire life. And in that environment, you kind of learn to keep your mouth shut. because There's a lot of judgment and shame. Yeah. Do you think you carry that for the longest time, like keeping things a secret, especially with your sexuality? Up until past few years. Yeah. Many years of holding this stuff back. What happened in first grade? Well, I think it was first grade, but it might have also been kindergarten. I, I sat next to a girl. We had a, we sat at tables and she liked to show me your butt and her vagina underneath the table. And oh, she wow. started that. 
I was way too into it enough that I think I freaked her out. You were exposed so young to those visuals. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, I don't know what was going on in her home life. Clearly something. Um, yeah. but that that definitely started something, some kind of a I don't know. Well, I don't know what you would call it, but it, it popped something off in my head that um I couldn't ignore. And you know, there were problems at home. I have a an older sister, she's three years older. And we've had a really tumultuous relationship over the year and still the present day. It's a confusing one because she is, on one hand, obsessed with Christianity and religion. On the other hand, behind closed doors, there's a lot of anger and hatred towards me that wouldn't come out in public. I, I, I think she liked corrupting me, but I couldn't tell you because we never had a conversation about it. There was some sexual abuse. And when I say that, it, it sounds worse than it really is. But um, just a lot of talk. She liked to tell me stories about kids that I, I understand now were made up about kids having sex in the school bathroom. She liked to talk about my parents having sex and telling me how it, how it worked. And on the other hand, if I talked about sex, we joked about it. Extreme shame. Mm. She even brought it up in adulthood. The times I would talk about sex as a child. She would talk about it still in adulthood. Yeah. Well, here's my question. It's like sometimes when, you know, there, I don't know what happened to your sister, but it's interesting that she kept bringing it up to you. Do you think something happened to her? Because usually when kids sexualize so young, they've been exposed. I thought about that a lot. And I, I don't have an answer. Um, yeah. We don't even communicate. And she's, she's so wrapped up in, um, in a Christian image really involved in the church. I don't think she would ever want these things coming out. Like I said, we, we don't even communicate anymore. How long have you guys not communicated? I think I've talked to her once in the past five, 10 years. Five, 10 years. You know, there's been a couple of texting things, but it, it just always ends up sour. Oh yeah. We're just not on the same page about religion and, and spirituality and how to live life. And um, she's so passionate on the subject. I kind of just gave up. I know this, you might not want to answer this and you're totally fine not answering it, but was there any other than the talk, was there anything inappropriate that happened or was it just? Not with her. Um, mm. I did have one strange experience with my grandma that I haven't wrapped my head around yet. And I'm not sure if anything else happened. I, I was early elementary school. I was babysitting us. My parents were out of town and I, I was sick and sitting on the on the couch bed with my grandma watching TV. She was rubbing my back. She kept like reaching around and like caressing my nipples, which is wow. the lamest way to abuse a kid. I mean, you could do better than that, right? <laughs> Come on. Oh. <laughs> that's <laughs> still though. That's still very confusing, especially for a young a young boy. And if you've already been exposed to sexuality and that on top of it, I mean it it is what it is, right? Like yeah. it's horrible no matter how bad it gets. It might have gone further, but my sister came in the room. And she gave a weird look because my grandma's got her hand at my shirt right on my chest. I kept looking down like, what are you doing? It's Freudian term called dream memories, where you place memories from your childhood with something different. So I've got these nonsense memories that don't make any sense staying at my grandparents' house through the nighttime that I, I still I don't know what it's about. It didn't come back to memory until about four years ago. Something definitely happened. They weren't dreams, but we never worked on it. 
I totally understand though. I have those blackout memories. Like I can't remember certain times of my childhood or situ. I, I just can't remember. And it's like, we do those things to protect ourselves as young kids. And it's yeah. like, sometimes they never get revealed and they, they never, the truth never comes out. And sometimes they are. And it, mine came through during therapy as well. But I love that you're willing to dig and see all the layers of why you did the things you did. So when was that next moment where you over-sexualized or something occurred? I'd say, you know, when, when puberty hit, things got real extreme, um, more internally than externally. I, um, because of the upbringing and the religious fear and shame, I really held back on anything physical. Mm-hmm. quite a while but I mean when I hit puberty I was masturbating five times a day at least was that like 13 14 is that what you think yeah definitely 13 yeah for sure and uh, it didn't matter where I was public home I had to get keep doing it and I had no one to talk to about it I couldn't talk to my dad or I had no no adults or friends who you could communicate about do you think that was your like first addiction because I masturbated very young too to self-soothe. And I just remember the, like the high of, Mm. of, and I was chasing that ever since. Like that was my addiction, like that, like high. Yeah. I never thought about that before. It definitely was my first addiction. Yeah. Was it before alcohol? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, maybe sugar. I guess, but um, yeah, sugar for me too. I've any way to like not feel yeah, <laughs> to feel high thanks. and like yeah, kind of pleasure. Like, yeah, well, it's just so interesting. And I mean, were you how how much were you doing it? A minimum five times a day. Wow. Did yeah. you ever hurt yourself? No, amazingly, no. I've I've heard of people doing that, and uh, I'm really yeah. grateful I didn't. But um, it was. It was hard on me because I, I carried this burden, this, you know, this shame burden around everywhere I went. Still, all, all I could think about that sexual gratification. What do you think the shame is when you were, it was just, just, you didn't think anybody else was doing it? Yeah. Well, I mean, Christian schools, church, youth group, those were my surroundings. And we didn't talk about that stuff. It didn't come up. And if it did, don't do it. You know, just don't do it. My dad didn't talk to me about anything sex my entire life. You know, the only advice I got from my father was uh, go to church and go to college about it. We didn't, we weren't communicating. Actually, none of my family communicated. Do you believe, I mean, I have a young boy, so I obviously know this conversation will come up. Do you believe there was anything they could have said that would have been more healthy where you wouldn't have had the shame? And I'm mostly asking because I'm a mom of a boy. So <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I um, before my son hit puberty, I would kind of just joke about you know, I, I made a pretty light conversation about sex. I didn't cover his eyes during kissing scenes in movies, you know, like my mom did for me. It's it's like, this is a part of life, you know, and it's it's going to happen. You're, you're going to do it. Um, just At what age did you stop covering his eyes or the whole time? If he saw so, I was as far as like what I wanted to watch and be around, I, I feel like I kind of kept pretty much in the middle between how I was raised and like the extreme parents who just let their kids watch anything they want. Yeah. Cause I, that's what I, I saw things way too young. Like, you? yeah, I saw Romeo and Juliet where they made love really like six years old, oh. nude, but I saw, you know, the death scene. I saw way too many things. Wait. And I'm so protective of my son. Right. Cause it, desensitizes their brains for sure 
for sure. But I was on the opposite end of the spectrum where mm-hmm. I got nothing. But I think yeah. a little bit's okay. You know, as long as they understand what's normal and what age is normal, you know, and what to expect. But there's no easy answers for raising kids. I mean, yeah, that's another that's another conversation. Plus, what are they seeing with their friends at their friends' houses and at school? You know, you know, there's a lot else going on behind your back, especially as your kids get older. And they just, it's acceptance, really, is what it comes down to. And just communication is so important. And I'm not saying I was a good father in any way, shape, or form. I was a drunk. But, uh, you know, I, as far as that went, I, I feel like I did a pretty good job. He's pretty balanced. My son is today. Yeah. I love I got- it. Lucky, got lucky for sure. So, when was the next situation? Well, I my first girlfriend, real girlfriend, I was fifteen, and she was raped about two weeks into when we started dating. Wow! Yeah, she was fourteen uh, on vacation, family a stranger raped on the beach. Did they ever catch the guy, or did he get arrested? No. Oh my god! How traumatizing no. for her. Yeah, she was pretty screwed up from it to this day. I think is what i understand and it that was the first person i had sex with after the rape um <gasps> so there's a lot going on there yeah that's very complex that's very do you feel like she felt like she did not own her sexuality anymore because it was taken from her i know she had sexual problems even before that but that was like a huge catalyst i mean it it broke her mm. I know that after after we broke up, she just went on a, a sex rampage. You know, she got attention that way. She had a pretty rough upbringing. And I know she got into drug right after we broke up, too. We we stayed together about a year, maybe a little less. But it was, yeah, that was really hard on me. And obviously for her, too. But it was did just, you want to have sex with her after? I did not. I didn't, okay. didn't want to lose my virginity because of my religion. She oh. really pushed it out. It was a, a lot of pressure a lot of manipulation and yeah but as a young man going through puberty it's like it wasn't that hard to get my pants off you know we i mean plus we were doing everything else but penetration so really like okay let's just go and then i was off the rails we had a lot of sex a lot you did okay yeah so you just like went crazy after that like once you had sex like was that your goal always no because i had i still had the guilt okay um so it was i was on and off Either it was it was all or nothing. And okay. you know, I'd take breaks, like I gotta stop doing this. Like, you know, I don't wanna go to hell. I don't wanna I don't want people to find out. I didn't tell anyone that I, I lost my virginity until probably a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big deal for me. But um yeah, I, I I don't know. That was a tough one. That was a tough one to get through. And I, I broke up with her and uh, started seeing another girl mm-hmm. and that was the first person I cheated on. Mm, so you uh, became a cheater. Well, it wasn't planned, you know. <laughs> well, but, no, uh, none of us plan to become cheaters. I oh, wasn't. some of us do. Some, a lot of guys <laughs> really? do. Yeah, especially back in the 90s. I didn't plan on being a cheater. Oh, I'm sure you didn't. I don't know if you remember what the 90s were like, but being a player was a big deal for young men, you know, like lie to women, cheat on women, and that's the cool way to be. Oh, they still, that is still looked at as like, if you're a cheater, you're like the person, the man. And then if a woman is, you're like a whore. And that's, I feel like that's always how it's going to be, but i hopefully it's getting better, but. I thought it's getting better, but maybe not. I guess it depends where you're at too and who you hang out with and who you talk to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I cheated on her and I remember crying on the way, like 
bawling on the way home. And it wasn't because I felt guilty. That was like the first realization I had that I had a problem. Mm. Like you did it and then you had the residual like, oh no, something is wrong with me. Like what I did wasn't okay or morally correct. Absolutely. Yeah, I felt terrible and broke up with her. I didn't. Really? <laughs> I'll just be honest. No, <laughs> it was like the best high in the world, like that power. Oh, and I loved I, it in the moment. <laughs> it did. No, I even loved it after. It was like, I've been chasing that high. It was like, I remember like the feeling of the rush of power I had over this young boy that was, that was, you know, cheating with his friend's girlfriend. Like mm. I just, oh, I relished in it. I actually got that feeling in the, the next girlfriend. You did? You yeah. were, you, your morals were already gone. So you're like, now I'm just going to like revel in it. Well, actually, that was uh, revenge cheating. Ooh, that's what got me cheating. really cranked up um, sexually. Um, did she cheat on you? And then you. So much. Um, right. This is the girl who eventually became my son's mom. Mm. And she was raised by crack addicts. She wasn't raised at all. A habitual liar. For literally everything that didn't matter. And I, yeah, constant cheating on her end. We would break up. I would get back together with her just with the goal to cheat on. Mm, how interesting, really? Yeah, I just had to get one up on her, you know? And, and that's that was the start of, of me becoming a slut. I, that, from that point on, up until recent years, I, I uh, yeah, that was my goal in life. Get as much ass as possible. Interesting. How much ass do you think you've got in your lifetime? If you could count. How many people? I would hope to say under 200. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Okay. Yeah, definitely over 100. Okay. That's a rough one. I I stopped counting probably after 30. I don't know. (laughs) You you count when you're young and then it's like, oh, what am I doing this for? It's just too many. Right, right, right. Oh. But you just then were off to the races being a manslut. And how did you manslut it out? Well, back then it was easy because we were partying a lot. I I was really getting into my alcoholism at that age, which is around 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was pretty much immediately a raging alcoholic from my right. first drink on. And, yeah. um, you know, when you're just constantly drinking and doing drugs, it's, it's a really foggy time of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just know there was a, a lot going on. And uh, I'm lucky I didn't catch anything. You know, we weren't using condoms half the time. And it was madness. It was madness. Do you think you consider yourself, you know, you said alcoholic and you're in re- and you're sober now, but do you think you were a sex addict and are a sex addict? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have several addicts. You're a whack-a-mole. Yeah, for sure. I, I, was, a, I was a shoplifter for a couple of years, heavy-duty shoplifter, uh, definitely marijuana addict. Luckily, no hard drugs ever got to me. Mm-hmm. They, they were never my thing. Al- alcohol was number one, sex was number two, and then the rest just kind of were there. Even video games take me over. Video games. Oh, video games are so addictive. Yeah, we get wrapped up in this. So what were the worst moments, do you think, of being a man slut that you remember? Because I know it was foggy. Well, the worse my drinking got, the, the worst type of women I was hooking up with. There was a point, I mean, I was drinking so bad that I could only date women who could keep up with me. Otherwise, it, it was just embarrassing and and uh, no one really understood what I was going through. I, I would drink, I would pound alcohol if I was awake. Mm. And immediately when I woke up, started to start right back at it again. I barely ate. You know, I was drinking at work. 
if I was working. I drank at school. I went to school. And it was just, yeah, it was terrible. So as that progressed, you know, I had a couple girlfriends who could keep up with me. But then I just got into prostitutes here. Um, they don't judge you as harshly. Yeah. You know, they're kind of in and out the door. And, and it wasn't so much that at that point that I needed sex. It was that I felt so sick drinking that I needed something to give me a different dopamine hit to feel better. Right. That makes any sense. Um, it does. And it's more transactional. So it's just like, you don't owe them anything. You could just use the body. And then it, yes. it, there was no like pressure to connect or act like you're connecting or any of that. Absolutely. And they understood because most, most prostitutes are addicts too. So there, there was rarely any judgment. And also I could connect with drugs through them because I, a lot of times I was drinking so hard. I would be going through withdrawals while I was drinking and I needed pills or something to lift out of it. And that was a great way to get it. Sometimes I would only call them just for that. But I think you did tell me about a time in Vegas. Was it in Vegas? Oh, no, I never went to Vegas. I would have died if I went to Vegas. <laughs> no, but it was like the. You know what you're talking about? You're talking about my, my butt rape experience? Oh, yes. Your butt rape. <laughs> Technically, it wasn't rape. But it felt no. like <laughs> well, yeah, that experience that you mentioned to me, which I oh think gosh. is so fascinating that you went through, but you did Terrible. hire a prostitute, right? Or yeah. was it? okay. I was on probably a two to three week bender. My son was staying at my parents' house because that, that's kind of how it, I, I had custody of my son since he was three. Mm-hmm. But if I I was you gotta understand, I was on and off alcohol. I kept quitting. And then I would go on a bender for anywhere from five days to a month, nonstop drinking. And he would go stay with his parents because it was so ugly. But yeah, I, this one prostitute, somehow I got to her hotel. I'd like to say I took a cab, but I for sure drove. Um, hey, let's be let's be authentic. You were drinking and driving too. Like it, sure. when you're in your addiction, you do horrible things that you <laughs> never thought you would. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I um Things were weird from the start from this girl because she's giving me a blow job and then my legs go up in the air and she starts giving me a rim job. And that should have been a huge warning sign because prostitutes don't do that. No, prostitutes do not do no, that. No, unless you pay them a lot of money, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, it yeah. just, and I wasn't complaining at all, you know, especially that lit. I had no, no red flags are going off. And then all of a sudden she stands up and she's got this massive penis. And before I could say anything, she just slammed it in me. Oh. I mean, light speed. That must have hurt. I'd never had anything more than a finger up there before. And it, I've, ne- I've still never experienced that kind of pain to this day. It was awful. I, I mean, she didn't, I don't think she lubed up. She didn't take her time. It was just all the way in. Wow. I screamed probably louder than I've ever screamed before. <laughs> I'm not meaning to laugh, but I'm getting a visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my legs, my legs are up, you know, around my shoulders, basically like a gymnast. <laughs> it stops. Full penetration. She stops and freezes and looks at me and I'm like screaming and I say, get it out. And she's still in me. And she goes, is this your first time? I said, yes, get it out. <laughs> but Oddly enough, is like I ejaculated probably harder than I ever have in my life. I mean, it hit me in the face. I'm, I'm covered in that, and I'm in so much pain. I'm miserable. This this lady or man or whatever she is doesn't know what to do with me. 
And I just kind of limped my way to the shower. I didn't even ask if I could use it. I, I just went to the, into the shower and hosed off and left as fast as I could. And that, oh that memory has haunted me to this day. Oh, I mean, my God. That's <laughs> that's traumatizing. And if you're not prepared and ready for it. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel so sorry for any girl that happens. To, I know it happens a lot. You know, guys don't always know how to treat the butthole. Oh, my God. Oh, you got to be gentle down there. That's that's awful. You need to be gentle everywhere. But yes, <laughs> yeah. if you are not prepared for that situation, that has that I, I can't imagine the feeling after. Did that sober you up? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I had no problem driving home. I, I, I'm sure I stopped at a store and was pounding as much as I could to forget that experience. Here's my next question. Did you visit a prostitute after it? Did you go back to that addiction? You know, even at like the lowest of the low. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like like you didn't even learn your lesson. Like you just were like, okay, let's do it again. I'm sure I got a little more careful with the ads I was looking at, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You got to read the full thing before ordering. (laughs) Make sure you know what you're getting. So you did talk about cheating and I know we're running out of time, but did you also like cheat with your friends, girls? Like, did you take it to the extreme? Like, and when did it end? When did you like surrender and know, like, I cannot be a man whore anymore? Or are you still there? No, I'm not there anymore. I was recently. I mean, definitely had problems up until very recently, but um, like how long ago? Within the last year. It's, oh, okay. it's been slowly fading out of my life mm-hmm. as, as I progress in my spiritual practice and slowly fading out. It's crazy the things humans do to each other. It really we is. are just some messed up individuals. And I'm putting myself in that same category, but it's like you had all these sexual experiences and trauma and then you just are now getting out of it and you're almost 40. Yeah. You know, I, I had sold myself before. Um, there were prostitutes that had called me up to hook up and I charged them money. And I'm like, well, if you want to have sex with me, I want to do the same thing to you. I charged my son's mom for sex too because she would call and beg for it sometimes. And I was always broke from drinking. Uh-huh. So yeah, I guess I was a technically a, a real man whore. Yeah, you were. You were a real man whore. Yeah. Here's the thing. Even women that go on dates and want dinner will give up sex for dinner or a new purse. It's like whenever we use sex as a some type of currency, that's where you're using sex in a very, very toxic way. Yes. And we disconnect from ourselves, no matter how free or, you know, open with your body. But now you know what it's like on the other side, too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a weird feeling looking back. I mean, it's, of course, when I was so trashed at the time, it meant nothing. Yeah. But looking yeah. back, it's, like, it's very strange to think that I was doing these transactions. You no, know, I, I was on the opposite side. And uh, did you feel any power from that? Or you don't remember? Yes. You did. Yes. Absolutely. Because a lot of women do it because they feel power from it. Yeah. Especially when they've taken so much from me, you know. Yeah, I get a little bit back and I get to have sex. Sure. You know, you were like, you were like a man whore gigolo. Uh, not often. I'm not saying it happened a lot, but it definitely happens. Yeah. I, um, it's so disgusting looking back on it. Yeah. And it, it's like I said, it's been kind of slowly easing off 
over okay. the years. And now, I mean, I don't even look at porn anymore. Oh, it's the worst. I'm so far really becoming removed from it, mostly just from, from a solid spiritual practice. I, I keep holding on. That's the only thing that saved me. Well, I have one more question about your acting out because we didn't. Did you ever sleep with married people? Oh, yeah. Look, I love how <laughs> you should see his face that you're like, yeah, Brian, like that's a given. Like, why did you even ask me that? Oh, I had like a long term, probably over 10 years that I slept with a married girl. Her oh. husband was like a firefighter in town and so many people. And yeah, I and I hooked up like a lot of cut couples, these guys that wanted to watch me have sex with their wife. Like when uh, Back Pages was out. Yeah, that was a good source for me to find to find sex easy and fast. And, yeah. And like my, I've had girlfriends that had swinger relationships, hook up with other couples, you know. Oh, yeah. I've, I've done it all. Orgies, everything. Wow. You yeah. are just a well-rounded sex addict. Very, very well-rounded. I, yes. Usually <laughs> there's like some like, nah, that's not my thing. But I love that you are just like, yep, did it all. And but I appreciate it. I appreciate the honesty and the transparency and that you are now becoming on the other side of it. Do you think that you're turning sexually anorexic? No. Okay. No, I'm just, um, it's just not, not the path I'm on anymore. Right. Not something I'm interested in. Do you feel disconnected from your sexuality? No, because okay. sex still happens as I found out recently. I'm just not seeking it. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I'm not actively looking for it. And that feels so good to yeah. not have that priority in your life, you know, it's a freedom to not be on these apps and websites constantly searching for it. I don't know how many hours a day I put into it. How much energy you waste. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And unnecessary. And that kind of sex, when you're really seeking it, it means nothing. And it's really not that great when it comes down to it. Not much real passion there. No intimacy for sure. I mean, it's lacking all intimacy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just another eye. Yeah. No different than shooting up or drinking. I'm glad you said that because I have been dealing with a lot, especially coming out and telling the world about being a sex and love addict that a lot of people are like, it's not a real addiction. And I was like, it gives you the same high as cocaine. It gives you that endorphin rush. What do you mean? Just like sugar does. It's it's the same chemical reaction. So it just drives me crazy when people think that, especially if it's a doctor, I just want to like scream. Well, it's been, the, the addiction's been laughed off a lot over the years. And I think it's because of the whole player problem, like the way men talk about it. We're not looking at these so-called players as sex addicts when we really should be. Yeah. There are sex addicts and, and, and uh, they lie too much. It's problematic. It's nothing to be proud of. Well, there's a lot of women that do that too, but it, oh, it's yeah. even yeah. like sleeping with a man to get something or to like, you know, so I, I think it's a society problem, whether it's a man or a woman, they say 38% of sex and love addicts are women. And that statistic was like six years ago. So it's amplified. Absolutely. It seems like it's on the climbing for both sex. Oh my God. I could talk to you forever. We have to go. We have literally <laughs> been recording forever, but I do want one more question. If anybody's listening out there struggling with that, wanting to get high swiping left and right, all that shit you do. You know, I know most of yours was when you were drinking, but what would be your advice for them? Especially if it's a young man listening right now. The one thing that, that saved me ultimately was developing a a strong meditation practice. 
And I, I honestly, if you've got any addiction problem at all, force yourself to sit down in quiet silence for 10 minutes a day and keep doing it every day. And these things will start to pull off the shed away. It's not instant. But if I, if I don't meditate every day, I think about drinking all day. I think about sex all day. And then with my meditation practice, there's been, I could talk another hour, everything that's come at. And it's hard to explain, but it definitely worked. 100% work. You know? And it's not fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Meditation's like going to the gym. It's the worst. I, I I mean, I've, you know, I've been in recovery almost 12 years and that is the worst thing it's I'm so at difficult. is meditation. Like horrific. Even doing five minutes for me, yeah. it's like pulling teeth. It's like the easiest thing and like the hardest. Just go sit with yourself in silence yeah. for five minutes. It's like, oh, that would be easy. It's torture, I believe. Complete torture. And that's how you know it's good for you. Just like it in the gym, you know, just yeah. like any form of exercise is just brain exercise. It's, it's soul exercise. And it's absolutely, if it hurts, then it's probably good. But it is the best feeling when you're done. That's the crazy thing. You actually feel better when you're done. Just like a run. Yeah, exactly. Just like a run. Yeah. But you can get addicted to running too. So let's let's, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> that's a, that's absolutely true. But I'm just it just as an analogy. Yeah, it's just like when you the, you get through the pain and you feel better the rest of the day. And it's so worth it. It takes very little of your time. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you for being so honest and so brave. And I'm just so grateful to know you. Yeah. Uh, Likewise. Yes. And thank you for coming on and sharing your truth with us. Absolutely. Okay. If you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.